You know, we have journeyed with Jesus now, walking with Jesus through Mark's Gospel since February. Isn't that hard to believe? 30, I think today is the 31st sermon in this sermon series. So that's the longest sermon series. I, well, I'll take that back. We did the year of the Bible every Sunday. We walked through the whole Bible together. So I guess that would be the longest sermon series. But, but we've been with Mark for quite some time. And this past month, just this past month, we have focused solely on the last week of Jesus' life and ministry, what we call Holy Week. We started joining the crowd, welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as the Messiah and the King. We watched and listened and considered, uh, along with the disciples, how often we tend to betray, deny, or abandon Jesus as they did in His greatest time of need. And then last week, we looked at Jesus' death on the cross through the eyes of three men, through Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross, of the believing thief who died at Jesus' side, and at the Roman centurion who declared that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And as we've walked with Jesus through Mark's Gospel, we've been discovering who Jesus is, trying to understand what Jesus came to do. And I hope that you've been challenged, as I have, to ask ourselves the question, who do I say that Jesus is? What does my life say about who Jesus is? Is Jesus my Lord and Savior? Do I live like Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Because we see ourselves reflected all too well in the failures and doubts in the fears and shortcomings of the disciples. And that's why I'm thankful that this story is a story of good news. This story isn't about how faithful I am to God. This story is about the faithful, never failing, never giving up, always and forever love of God for us. The love of a creator for his creation. The love of a king for his rebellious Subjects, the love of a father for his wayward children. It's a story about a love that would risk and give up everything. A love that compelled God the Son to leave his throne in heaven, put on flesh and blood, and become one of us. So as the old praise song goes, and it is an old song at this point, it's probably been out for 20 years or more, but it's a song that says amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me. Oh, indeed it is an amazing love that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, would hang on a cruel Roman cross of His own volition to become sin for us, to die in our place. But that's not the end of the story. As amazing as the life and ministry of Jesus was, as powerful as His miracles and His teachings were, as amazing and powerful as His crucifixion was, God's not done yet. That's not how the story ends. And today we're going to see the most amazing, the most powerful, the most earth-shaking moment yet. And we pick that up in John chapter 15 where we left off last week. Let's begin with verse 42. Now I'm only going to read through 16.8. Most scholars agree uh, all the earlier manuscripts, most reliable manuscripts of Mark end with verse 8. So most scholars agree that verses 9 through 20 were later were added at a later date by a, an editor, a translator. Now, what is there is drawn from other Gospels, so it's not that those things aren't true. But we're going to stop with verse 8, where I think Mark intentionally ended his Gospel, and I think he ended it that way for a reason. So we'll look at that. But let's begin in verse 42. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is... 
the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Now it's fitting that today we're focusing on the Easter story, the resurrection story, while we're also bringing in Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. We're about to head into the season of Advent because, and I've talked about this before, the amazing parallels, the similarities between the birth accounts of Jesus and the accounts of His resurrection. Specifically how they really bookend the gospel accounts of Jesus' life with fear and awe, with bewilderment and amazement. For example, remember when the angels show up, whether it's in in the birth accounts or here in the resurrection, people are afraid. The angels are constantly saying, don't be afraid. Fear not, don't be alarmed. Remember how the shepherds and the wise men, Mary and Joseph, all encountered these visions and dreams and angels that left them shocked and in awe and fearful. And they pondered the wonder of these events and what they meant. Well, here in Mark 16, we see similar words as we do in those birth narratives. Words like alarmed, bewildered or astonished, trembling, afraid. Let's just think about the word alarmed. When the women see the stone rolled away, the body is gone, and and an angel, a man in white glowing robes there inside the tomb, they are alarmed. And the angel says, don't be alarmed. Now that Greek word, uh, really there's several Greek words that together are translated in Mark's gospel as alarmed or amazed uh, or astounded. And that can be in a positive sense or in a negative sense. Of course, here in Mark 16, it's a negative. It's the word alarmed. They're, they're afraid. They're, they're, they're caught off guard. But this, these words that are translated amazed or alarmed are used 16 times in Mark's gospel, almost one per chapter. And it means literally to be struck with awe or fear, to be overwhelmed with wonder. 
Now, Mark tells us that the crowds were amazed. They were often amazed that Jesus taught with authority and, and, and wisdom. They were amazed at his miracles, specifically that he could cast out demons. In chapter 7, it says that the people were overwhelmed with amazement that Jesus did everything well, especially giving speech to the mute and, de- and hearing to the deaf. In chapter 9, the people see Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and it says that they ran to Him overwhelmed with wonder. His disciples were amazed at Jesus' words and teachings. And twice, Mark says, that Pilate was amazed at Jesus. And now we are here at the empty tomb. And the women stand amazed, astonished, awestruck, overwhelmed with wonder, They are alarmed. But they're also bewildered or astonished. We see that in verse 8. Now, this is the Greek word from which we get the word ecstasy. It means a state of intense amazement to the point of being beside oneself with astonishment. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been so surprised and filled with wonder that it was you were wondering if if you're dreaming? Am I dreaming? Is this really happening? Am I going crazy? Is this actually happening? Those are such powerful moments that we just like have a hard time wrapping our brains around. Well, Mark used this word four times to describe people's reactions to Jesus. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, it says that the people that were there in the room were astonished. When Jesus healed a paralyzed man, the crowd was in ecstasy. When Jesus walked on water to the disciples and calmed the storms, they were bewildered. Have you ever been so amazed by Jesus? Has God's love for you and what Jesus did for you at Calvary left you beside yourself with awe and wonder? My prayer for us today is that we could regain a sense of that. That as we look at this story, we could again have that amazement as we consider what the resurrection reveals to us about God's amazing love for us. We, we focus on God's amazing love at the cross, and rightly so. But also at the empty tomb, we see God's amazing love. And we see a few things I want us to look at today. First, we see that it overcomes our greatest obstacles. It overcomes our greatest obstacles. Look back with me at verses 2 through 4. It says that early in the morning, that, that Sunday morning at, at sunrise, the women go to the tomb and they're concerned on the way there about who's going to roll this stone away for us because it was a large stone. It was a heavy stone. It was there to keep uh, you know, thieves or, or animals from getting into the tombs. They would have this very large, heavy rock that it would take multiple men to move. And they're, they're worried about that, but they get to the tomb and they are amazed to look up and see the stone has already been rolled away. Now, when we think about God's love helping us to overcome our greatest obstacles, I'm not just talking about the inconveniences of our daily life. I'm not just talking about the the, the daily pressures and the hardships we might face at work or with our finances or, or whatnot. Not that God doesn't help us with those. He most certainly does. And God does care about even the smallest detail of our lives. But I think oftentimes we kind of reduce the transforming, powerful love of God to a slogan, right? It's, it's something you put on a T-shirt, a bumper sticker, or you, you tweet out on, on, on Twitter or Facebook. You know, it's a meme. And I want us to understand this morning that the resurrection is so much more than that. It shows us that God has the power to overcome the greatest 
obstacles we would ever face in life. Stones so large we could never roll them away on our own. For example, God's amazing love gives us faith in the midst of our doubts. Gives us love in the place of hate. Gives us life over death and forgiveness for the worst of our sins. Truly, the resurrection power and love of God helped us to overcome the greatest obstacles. Not just the little stumbling stones in our way, but the greatest, most impossible obstacles we face. Jesus says in Mark chapter 11, have faith in God. He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. Paul says we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. In other words, they, things were so bad for them, they thought they were going to die. They despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. Listen, Jesus, Paul, the Bible never tells us that we can avoid the hardships of life. Paul is saying, I I don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships we face. I want to be honest with you. Times have been tough. We thought we were going to die. We felt like we were sentenced to death. We had pressure beyond what we could endure. But the God who raises the dead saw us through. He delivered us. Listen, even when we thought we've been given the death sentence, we can focus on the one who promises life. Paul goes on in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He says, listen, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. The suffering the persecution. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Paul says, look, we're like jars of clay. We're, we're fragile. But in our weakness, the all-surpassing grace and power of God is manifested. Because Jesus died and rose again, His life is at work in us. Even when we face death, even when we face hardship, His life is being revealed through us. So yes, we may be hard-pressed. We may feel the squeeze and the pressure of life. We may feel persecuted and struck down. But because of God's amazing love, we need not despair because we will never be abandoned and we will never be destroyed. Amen? That's good news, y'all. I don't know about you, but I oftentimes feel pretty hard-pressed pretty struck down, pretty persecuted. Sometimes I feel a little bit abandoned. But we're not. God is with us. 
So I don't know what your greatest struggle or doubt is today. I don't know what your greatest obstacle might be. But I want you to know that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead and rolled the stone away is there to deliver you from whatever it is you think is too big for you to handle. God's amazing love overcomes our greatest obstacles. Secondly, it calms our greatest fears. Look with me again at verses 6 through 8. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they put him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Now that word afraid is the Greek word phobos. It's where we get the word phobia from. And Mark uses it 11 times. He describes the disciples as terrified when Jesus calmed the storm and they even asked themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? People were afraid when they saw the demon-possessed man who used to, used to run around the graveyard naked and cutting himself with rocks. They, they look and they see him dressed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus and they're afraid. They're afraid of that astonishing power. Twice, in fact, Jesus has to tell people not to be afraid when they witness an amazing miracle. At the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were so afraid of what they were experiencing, it says Peter didn't know what to say. He didn't know what he was talking about. He was out of his mind and, and, and couldn't figure it out. So notice how the women at the tomb respond to fear. They respond to fear in three ways. First, it says they trembled. Now, that's the Greek word we get the word tremors from. Literally, they were shaking with fear. Now, listen, the crucifixion and the resurrection are astonishing. They are amazing events that should leave us shaking with a holy fear and awe at God's amazing love for us and His omnipotent power over death and the grave. People were in awe and afraid because Jesus had such great power and authority. Listen, he had power and authority over the spiritual realm. He could cast out demons. He had power and authority over the natural realm. He could calm storms. He had power and authority over the religious realm. He could answer the religious teachers and scholars with such wisdom, and he taught with authority like the people had never heard. Jesus had power and authority over the human body. He could heal every kind of sickness and disease. And Jesus had power and authority even over death itself. Jesus could bring the dead to life. So yes, the people were afraid. Yes, the people trembled with the holy fear and awe. But that's not the kind of fear Mark's gospel ends with. The Marys and the other women here, they are not fearful because they are overwhelmed with holy awe and wonder. They are fearful because they're ignorant they don't understand what's happened. And it's not just them, it's all the disciples. They were all ignorant. Even Peter didn't understand what was happening. And it's pretty amazing that that was the case because Jesus had told them multiple times what was going to happen. He prepared them for this. They had the Old Testament prophecies about this. And yet they still failed to grasp God's plan of redemption. And so they shook with fear. But secondly, it says that they then fled. They ran away from the tomb just like the disciples fled from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They run away because they're afraid. When we live in fear, listen, we always find ourselves running away from Jesus. 
because we fail to trust Him. We don't believe that He'll do for us what He says He will. When we're afraid, we're afraid to serve in some way. You know, the Committee on Committees calls. Hey, will you serve on this committee? And you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I have the time for that. I don't know if I, if I have the expertise and the skills for that. I don't know if I, you know, am I a good enough Christian to be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher? Do I know the Bible enough to be a Sunday school teacher? Maybe I don't sing as well as, I, as, as you know, Matt thinks I can. I don't, I don't think I can sing in the choir. I don't know if I can be an actor in the drive-thru nativity or, or go out there with a, with a hammer or a saw. I might cut my fingers off. I might actually do that. But You know, we, we get afraid. We get afraid that God won't provide for us where His will guides us. We are afraid that we're going to fail or we're going to be rejected. And so we flee. We run away. We're like Jonah. And God gives us an opportunity to worship Him and to serve Him and to grow in Him, but we run the other way. And that's what these women did. And third, they said nothing. Because you know what else fear does? Fear keeps us silent. When we fail to speak truth into people's lives, when we fail to share the gospel with a co-worker, a family, or a friend, when we refuse to hold our fellow believers accountable to what God's Word teaches, it's because we're afraid. We're afraid of what they're going to think or say. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of not having the right answers to give someone. We're afraid of being ridiculed and called a Jesus freak or holier than thou because we dared to share with somebody what God is doing in our life. Fear keeps us silent. Maybe you're afraid that you might get in trouble at work, lose your job, get you know banned from Twitter or put in Facebook jail. We're afraid. And so we say nothing. And that's what the women did. They were so afraid that the men would think they were crazy. And you know what? That fear was justified because guess what? The men did think they were crazy. But you know what else? The men were wrong. They were wrong. Listen, it's okay if people think you're crazy because you've experienced the amazing love of God and they haven't. Lost people think that we're crazy. But you know what? That kind of crazy is contagious. When we dare to speak and to tell people what we've seen and heard, when we dare to share with people God's amazing love, you know what? That kind of news captivates people's hearts and minds. That's how the church is spread around the world. That's how the gospel has changed communities and lives. In Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin has called Peter and James and John in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They commanded them to be silent, threatened them. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They couldn't help but speak about this saw and heard. Why is that? Why could they not help but speak about this? Even in the face of persecution, even in the threat of losing their, their lives or their livelihoods. Well, it tells us in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Listen, when God shows up in His resurrection power, He fills us with His Spirit. He shakes things up and He gives us boldness to share the Word of God with a lost and dying world. That's how they could do it. When we experience the amazing love of God, We'll be like that. We'll be as bold and fearless as the early church. We'll be as filled with fire as Jeremiah or as Paul. I love what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29. 
He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak of him anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah said, I can't stop. I can't stop sharing what God has told me to share. It's like a fire in my bones. If I don't let it out, it's going to burn me up. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, it wouldn't be until the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit that the disciples would finally understand this, that they would finally have the boldness and the fearlessness to share about the amazing love of God, a love that casts out all fears. I love what 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love. He says, perfect love drives out fear. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And he goes on in Romans 8.15 to say, again, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again, to fear. You received the spirit of sonship. What that's telling us, y'all, is that when we are in the love of Jesus Christ, when we give our lives to Him and we experience His love, we are adopted as His children. We need not fear. Fear is driven out. He gives us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, not a spirit of fear. But maybe this morning you have some deep-seated fears, some fears that leave you paralyzed and trembling. Fears that make you run away. Fears that make you stay silent. Maybe it's the fear of rejection or failure. Maybe you're afraid of being hurt or abandoned because you've experienced that in the past. Maybe you don't want to be let down or disappointed. Don't you think that the women and the disciples felt that way going to that early tomb that morning? They had seen their Lord and friend die and be buried. Don't you think they felt hurt and abandoned? Let down and disappointed? But as they approached that empty tomb and looked inside, they learned that when you hope in God, that is a hope that does not disappoint because God's perfect, amazing love casts out all fear. Number three, it also forgives our greatest sins. Notice there in verse 7 that the angel specifically mentions Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Remember, Peter denied Jesus just a couple of nights before this. Peter denied Jesus three times in public. In his greatest time of need, and Jesus witnessed it, looked over at Peter when he heard that rooster crow. And Peter ran out broken. He was destroyed inside because he had so abandoned and let down Jesus. But God's amazing love is a second chance kind of love. And in John chapter 20, we learn that after the resurrection, Jesus is there with Peter on the beach. And three times, one for each denial, three times, Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to express to Jesus his love. And three times, Jesus entrusts Peter with feeding his sheep, with caring for the church. Listen, don't you think that if Jesus could give Peter and the other disciples after they abandoned and betrayed and denied Him, if He can give them a second chance, don't you think He can give you a second chance? If He can forgive those sins, is there any sin in your life you think Jesus honestly couldn't forgive? In the Old Testament, we see King David who 
kind of reminds me of Peter. You know, he was a man after God's own heart. He was the man that God raised up to be the king of Israel. He promised that through David, Jesus would come into the world, and yet David committed adultery and then lied and murdered to cover it up. In Psalm 51, we read David's heartfelt confession of sin and how he pleads with God for forgiveness and restoration. But what I want us to look at real quick this morning is David's words in Psalm 32 after he had realized and experienced the forgiveness of God. Listen to what he says in Psalm 32. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, before I confessed my sins, when I kept it all in, he says, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. If God could forgive David of what he had done and give him a second chance, don't you think God can forgive you and give you a second chance. In 1 John 1, 9, the Bible promises that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Listen, you know, and, and I, I make people like this today, but you just don't understand. You don't understand, preacher, what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. You don't understand the guilt and shame that I carry. The mistakes that I've made, the people that I've hurt. Jesus couldn't possibly forgive me or use me. Listen, when you say that, you are saying more about what you believe about Jesus and the power of what He did on the cross than you're saying about you and your sin. There is no sin beyond the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can say or do that God would look at and say, oh, that's where I draw the line. Jesus died for any and every sin. He bore all of your grace all of your shame on the cross. And God's amazing love can and will give you a fresh start, a clean slate, a second chance if you trust in Him. God's love helps us overcome our greatest obstacles, our greatest fears. It forgives us of our greatest sins. But number four, it gives us a great mission. It gives us a mission. In verse 7, the angel looks at the women and says, Go and tell. He gave them a job. He sent them to do something. Because once you truly experience the amazing love of God in your life, you can't keep it to yourself. Listen, His love, what He did on the cross and in the empty tomb, it's worth singing about. It's worth shouting from the rooftops. It's worth going and telling it on the mountain. It's worth telling everyone you know what Jesus Christ has done. That's why Jeremiah said it was a fire in his bones. That's why Paul said, woe to me if I don't tell other people this good news. And after Jesus' resurrection and before He ascended to His Father's side in heaven, Jesus gave the church, us, some parting words, some marching orders. We call it the Great Commission. And listen, these words should light a fire in our bones. Jesus said, All power and authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he says, Behold, I am with you 
to the very end of the age. In Acts 1.8, Jesus goes on to say, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, Jesus says that He has given us His power and authority, the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Son of God. He has given us His presence so that we can go out into the world and share the good news and help other people know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a preacher in a pulpit. You don't have to be a missionary on some foreign soil. You just have to love Jesus so much you can't help but talk about Him. About His love for you and what He has done in your life and the difference He can make in the lives of others. It should be our life's mission. That should be the purpose that we are here. The amazing love of God gives us a great mission. And finally, it fills us with hope for the future. Because the message that they were to go and tell to the disciples and Peter is that Jesus has gone ahead of you and you're going to see Him there. You're going to see Jesus just as He said. Now, I think it's interesting. Again, I mentioned this earlier, that Mark's Gospel ends here with verse 8 without any of the disciples seeing Jesus. Think about that. Matthew, Luke, John, they all end with lengthy accounts of the disciples seeing Jesus and touching His hands and, you know, they're eating fish with Him and they're in the room with Him and and all of this. But Mark ends in verse 8 and nobody's actually seen Jesus, just the empty tomb. Mark kind of leaves us with a cliffhanger, doesn't he? I think that's one of the reasons why some very well-meaning translators or editors borrowed from the other Gospels and said, oh, whoops, this hasn't been finished yet. We need to give it an ending, right? I mean, the Great Commission, the Ascension, that needs to be in here too. It feels incomplete. It's like a to-be-continued. But I think Mark did that for a reason. Because he wants us to be like these women. I mean, think about it. Mark's Gospel ends on the words, they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. The end. It's a challenge to us. What are we going to do? Are we going to run away and stay silent and be afraid? Or are we going to have the hope that we will see Jesus? That He is coming back for us just as He said. That's the message here. We can count on the promises of God. He told us that Jesus will return. He said He will make all things new. He promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He told us He would send the Holy Spirit to be our helpful helper and our comforter to remind us of all that He taught us and to empower us to share the good news. God's amazing love as seen in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ fills us with immeasurable hope. A hope that death does not get the final word. A hope that is a solid rock upon which we can build our lives and stand firm through whatever storms life sends our ways. We can rest assured that God does hear our prayers. He does forgive our sins. If God's Word promises it, we can stand on it. Amen? That's the hope that the amazing love of God gives us. The empty tomb is our proof of purchase. It's our seal of authenticity. It's our certificate of delivery. I pray that your life has been radically changed, transformed and made new by God's amazing love. It doesn't matter what obstacles you face or have faced in your life. It doesn't matter what fears weigh heavy on your heart and mind. Jesus can and will give you peace and confidence. He can roll away stones. He can move the mountains of doubt and fear. 
He will replace that spirit of fear with the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. doesn't matter your obstacle. doesn't matter your fear. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what sins you've committed, what mistakes that you've made. God's mercies, praise the Lord, are new every morning. Jesus will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He will purify you from all unrighteousness. He wants to forgive you of your sins. And if you feel like you're kind of bobbing along in life, like you're directionless, you don't have any purpose, you don't have any mission in life, Jesus will give you a mission worth giving your life to. And He will fill you with a hope that will never disappoint. If you know His amazing love. But you have to surrender yourself to Jesus. You have to turn from your sin and put your trust in Him. Stop trying to earn God's favor. Listen, you can't earn a gift that is freely given. When it comes to God, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Heaven's a lot higher up than that. No amount of good deeds, no amount of religiousness is good enough to earn God's favor. It's given. You don't have to earn it. He wants to give it to you. You can freely receive it. I pray this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would come to the cross and see the Savior who bled and died, who became sin for you, that you can become the righteousness of God. And I pray you'll come to the empty tomb and see the power of the amazing love of God to bring life where there's death, to bring hope where there's despair, to bring a new beginning where you thought everything was ending. That's the power of God's amazing love. Do you know that love? If you're worshiping with us online or on the radio, do you know that love? I pray this morning that you would come and experience the amazing love of God today. Maybe for you, maybe for you, the amazing love of God is helping you overcome your fear of service. You've been afraid to serve. You've been afraid to say yes. You've been afraid to to give your time, your resources, your energy to the kingdom of God. Maybe today you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to let God give me that spirit of power, love, and self-discipline and take away the spirit of fear. Maybe for you, the amazing love of God is telling you that you don't have to worry about the mistakes that you've made, even as a believer, that God's mercies are new every morning, that God forgives us. He gives us second, third, fourth, umpteenth chances every day. Praise the Lord, I need them. Maybe for you, the amazing love of God is calling you to unite with this church family to pray for God to give you the boldness to speak about what you've seen and heard. Whatever God is saying to you today, let's be obedient. Don't leave this place just saying, well, that was was a good worship service today. What's for lunch? Probably the what's for lunch you say first. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know. Let's leave this service radically changed by the resurrection, radical power and love of Almighty God. Would you stand and pray with me?